If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. Now, when I came out here, I thought I would be the one picking grapes. I had no idea the amount of labor involved. And you just get an appreciation for just how hard it is. Um, and it's often really cold those nights when you're picking grapes and you leave sticky and exhausted. But you know that's just the beginning. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 530. This week we feature Scott Dahmer, proprietor of Eridus Wine Company, Wilcox, Arizona. Eridus Wine Company is located in Wilcox, Arizona. And last December, I interviewed their winemaker, Lisa Street. For this podcast, I catch up with Eridus proprietor, Scott Dahmer, to get an in-depth look at making Arizona wine. Every growing area in the world has its challenges, but Arizona may be one of the very few that experiences monsoons. Mother Nature does not make it easy on wine growers. So this is part two of our interview with Eridus Wine Company, and I am on the phone this time with the proprietor, Scott Dahmer. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. It's good to talk to you, and uh, this interview is taking place uh, end of, literally the end of November. Uh, what's your weather like out there in Arizona right about now? You know, it's starting to cool off. It's in the high 60s, low 70s, so this is our winter temperature. Um, it does cool down... Um, at night, so we can get some freezing temperatures, but snow is a rarity. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wished I could say that here. <laughs> Not a fact. And as I understand it, you're at a pretty high altitude, around 5,000 feet, is that correct? Yes. Um, I have to clarify because I live in Scottsdale area, so that's, you know, in the valley, close to Phoenix, and um, so we're lower elevation there, but we're you're probably referring to the vineyard and the winery, and, the, and um, that's a three-hour drive from where I am. I do that on a weekly basis, and um, it's about 4,200 feet in Wilcox, and then our vineyard is outside of the area of Wilcox, a little place called Pierce, and it's up another 1,000 feet. So we do once in a while see some snow on the vineyard, but it doesn't last very long. That's good. Glad to hear that. Uh, that that kind of an altitude, and considering how far you are from it, uh, visiting the vineyard, spending time there, is that a challenge for you, or is it just something you're able to make it work? Yeah, we make it work. We actually bought the vineyard property first. It's absolutely beautiful. It has the Chiricahua Mountains in the background. It actually has a, a creek called Turkey Creek that divides up the property in half. And you can just imagine it's just stunning, uh, stunning background. And so we, Joan and I, my wife and I, fell in love with the, the property as soon as we walked on it and said, yep, this is it. We want to plant a vineyard. Our plan was to have a, a little a winery there and maybe a retirement house, you know, that just that that hope the whole package and we got a consultant involved um his name is carrie gott from california you might know his uh, son joel gott uh, produces wine there and um he said you know what this is beautiful but you know it's kind of remote and you're gonna spend a lot of time and money into this area and maybe you should consider maybe moving into town to wilcox because it's more of an agricultural place and uh doing the winery there and still have your vineyard where on Turkey Creek in Pierce. 
And so that's how that kind of evolved. And it evolved into a custom crush scenario. And we bought an old uh, Apple warehouse. And Carrie Gott said, this is absolutely perfect, perfect size, is, is right location. So uh, our dream, our vision kind of changed after that. It turned into more of a, uh, a business, you know, perspective, as opposed to uh, a romantic slash business. <laughs> sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes. And um, so that's how we started out. We, we didn't start off thinking, let's build the largest custom crush facility in the state. Uh, we started off small and romantic. And, you know, I, as you can imagine, anybody that wants to start a vineyard and a winery starts off with those plans. And you quickly realize it's it's a business and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Needless to say, that's not the first time I've heard that. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> And as an aside, I know both Joel and uh, Carrie because I've interviewed both of them. Joel many, many years, probably about 10 years ago, and Carrie just about uh, just before COVID, in fact, we uh, met up with him in uh, Napa. So two great guys and, and interesting guys. That's Excellent. For sure. Yeah. You know. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. He helped us build the dream. He's the consultant that said, you know, hey, hey, uh, this is doable. And he basically the layout of the winery is all his. Interesting. Now, you know, a lot of people don't immediately think about Arizona for wine, but like many states around this country, a lot of people are growing some really great wine. How do you address that when people say, Arizona, really? <laughs> it's funny you say that. We get that all the time from everywhere because I think people have that that notion that Arizona is just a dry desert everywhere um, until they start to, you know, explore the, our, our beautiful state. I mean, it, uh, when you go up to Flagstaff, you think you're in the middle of Canada. It's pine trees and snow, and it, you would never believe it's, you know, part of our state because it's so different. And I think that's um, that's kind of the misconception, if you will, because most people, uh, if they're visiting Arizona first time, they're probably going to the valley and it's, you know, it's hot and, you know, really you can't grow a lot of grapes. There's, in fact, I don't think there's any uh, vineyards down here in the valley. Um, So once you start exploring it a bit more and you explain to people, oh yeah, I've been up to Prescott or I've been up to uh, Cottonwood and it's, you know, it's beautiful up there and the elevation's higher and it is different. So yeah, I think it's just a little bit of um, education. Um, and exploration. I mean, people love to uh, come to Arizona and, and do some more exploration. So, uh, if they're if they're a first time visitor, they obviously think it's you know you can grow grapes there, but yeah, as soon as you start to explore, you you can understand that it's it's possible. Sure. And while wine is an exploration, when you get right on down to it, especially if you want to learn more, absolutely. Is that in in the area where your your vineyards are? Is that an AVA or no? Um, I think just a couple of years ago, Wilcox area had designated themselves as a ADA, but we are just outside of that. And at the time, we wanted to do something different, too, because we are different. We're different in elevation. We have a different, we've got, you know, creeks running through. We've got the mountain climate. We've got, so we... We wanted to do something separate from the Wilcox ABA, so we deliberately tried to, I hate to use the word exclude, but not include us in that particular ABA. We were going to go for our own. So, and I think that's still in the process. So, uh, long answer <laughs> to your question, uh, no, we are not part of the Wilcox ABA, but we're going for our own. Cool. 
That's great. Well, I wish you luck on that because that certainly isn't a very easy trail to go down, is it? Right, yes. A lot of red tape. (laughs) Yes. We're talking government here. Well, I'll move on on that particular subject. Uh, (laughs) You know, this is, gosh, it's probably a bit of a passe question, but how do you see the future of Arizona wine from your perspective and the period of time you've been making wine? Wow. You know, even that we've been in... Uh, we opened our cellar doors 10 years ago. We're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary in August. Congratulations. So we've been doing this for 10 years. Um, and in that 10 years, when we first started out, we've seen a tremendous improvement on the quality of wine and the focus on wine. And uh, more people are getting involved with it, and they're taking it uh, very seriously. So in the last 10 years, I've seen a huge uh, improvement on on everything from the vineyard management to uh, uh, winery production and, and how you make wine. Um, uh, there's there's a whole history of uh, people that have started that started the wine industry, and they were just trying things. You know, hey, let's see if this works, and let's see if that works. And I think we're you know uh, we've gotten over that. We've learned. Uh, what works and what doesn't and what we can do and what we can't do. Um, so I think it's only going to get better and better. That's that's what I that's how I see it. Yeah, and that's a, a good attitude, of course. But uh, do you know roughly how many wineries there are in the state of Arizona as of this time? Roughly. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, of course, they're all spread out across the, the state. You know, they're not just in one location. Yeah, um, sure. We even have... Um, a couple uh, wineries up in Kingman, and that's on the way to Las Vegas. So that's mm. the very end of the the, the state there. So, um, and as far south as Douglas, you know, so they're all over the place. And um, it, I think it really depends on kind of where the, uh, the, the the soil is and the and the temperature. And we're looking for cooler climates. And um, since we're on, on that topic, one of the challenges of growing grapes here in Arizona, which you wouldn't think, is we have monsoons. And monsoons are crazy, very dramatic rains, winds, lightning, thunder, you name it, tons of rain uh, right during the growing process. So it starts in July, end of June, and it doesn't end until October, and that's our growing season. So it's difficult to grow some varieties that are susceptible to mold and mildew, especially with all that rain. So that's, I mean, it, it's doable, but it's more labor-intensive to try and keep you know the mold and mildew down when it's raining and, and during our our thunderstorm. So um, we do have our challenges. Yeah, I bet. And uh, speaking to Lisa about that, it was, <laughs> she used the word monsoon. She was very serious about it. And uh, no, no thanks. <laughs> I, 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 happy to pass on something yeah. like that. Now, uh, you yourself and your wife, you, you both started this, uh, this company. And have you made wine yourself? Did you start that way or no? <laughs> well, um, not really, but, you know, we decided uh, that we, well, we lived in California and Healdsburg, Sonoma County area for almost 10 years. We really loved it. I mean, th- I think that's where we really got um, uh, a huge interest in wine and vineyards and the winery. And um, Joe and my wife got this uh, fantastic offer- job opportunity here in Arizona. It's one of those she couldn't refuse, so we decided to move. And... Um, it took me about two years to find out that actually Arizona does have a, a grape and a vineyard area. So I thought, hey, let's start exploring this again. So we started to do that and said, you know what, this is, this is, this is doable. 
And so um, my background is um, uh, art director and uh, communication design and all that stuff in marketing and design. I can, I am graphic design. I can do that part. And uh, my wife is an oncologist. So we don't have any formal training in this, but we just had um, uh, a, a lot of interest and a lot of love to try and, and do this on our own. So um, we uh, we decided to try and do it and hire excellent people like Lisa. I mean, she is excellent. I, I love working working with her. She's uh, and she loves uh, the winery. She she loves being a winemaker. And she's doing fabulous things. So I think the key thing for, for, for our success was to hire great people. So, uh, again, long answer to your question, no, we don't have, we don't, we have never made wine in our life except for, you know, we did, we did those, you know, um, kits, you know, you buy the, the wine kit and you do it at home. And I got to tell you, uh, Jones, my wife said, you know, if we're going to get into this business, we, we should really know how it works. <laughs> yeah. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we started off with a kit, and let me tell you, it was terrible. Oh, my gosh, undrinkable. <laughs> well, once again, that's not the first time I've heard that either, so, you know. But I'm, I'm now one thing I'm really curious about, when it comes to hiring a winemaker, I mean, of course, the main criteria is someone who has a, a good palate and understands the concept, but what was it you were looking for in a person to do this job? Wow. Well, first of all, uh, the obvious, you know, the, the crucial ones are uh, experience in winemaking and how to do it uh, consistent, consistently. But then, again, we go, we go back to we're also trying things. You know, we're, we're, we're growing our own varieties. We're, we bought some grapes from other states and putting it together. And um, so it had to be, you know, a little flexibility there. It couldn't, it couldn't be a person that says, okay, I have to do it this way because I've done it this way all my life you know they have to be a little bit flexible we're always learning you know and especially in the last 10 years we we, we don't have uh, we didn't have strict recipes we didn't we didn't we didn't say okay this is the way it has to be and this is the way we're going to do it from here on in every day or every everything that we're doing we're always kind of making how can we make this better or can we make it differently or is it successful do people like it you know so it's always always an adjustment so i think um you know, having all of the qualifications and the experience is one thing, but then they all, the person had to be a little bit more open to uh, trying new things. Well, and, and us wine lovers, thank you for that, because, uh, again, exploration, <laughs> you know, learning about new wines is half the fun of being able to do this kind of thing. Absolutely. Now, where are you from originally? Uh, my wife and I uh, met in uh, middle school in Canada, grew up in Canada, just outside of Toronto. Oh, Nice. Now, are you making sparkling wine there? We are. We don't have the large production facility at, like um, the one that's in um, uh, New Mexico. Um, they're 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 absolutely great. We've we've been, we've been talking with them to see how we can expand it. So we're uh, Lisa and I do a um, pet nap. Sure. So it's all kind of ferment, fermentation in the bottle. So uh, we have to kind of educate our people that buy it that, you know, there's going to be a little bit of uh, residual yeast in the bottom. It's totally safe. It's not poisonous or anything. It's just going to be a little cloudy at the, at the you know, on the very last glass. And, you know, you can drink it if you want to, but it's not, you know, it's, you, you can. So we just kind of warn people that it's there. So we want to try and um, increase our production and, and um, do a, regular spark sparkling but we're only doing maybe oh maybe 20 cases and it's all by hand all hand done that's a lot of work it is 
it is. I, I am a big fan of pet nets myself just because, uh, I don't know, they're just, they just seem to be a bit more casual. I, I kind of like the idea of a, you know, a beer cap on them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another yeah, – some people said, hey, I thought this was going to be a champagne bottle. Where's the, <laughs> the cage and the foil, and this is a beer cap? And I'm going, yep, that's the style. And they go, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. <laughs> but I think I think people are learning about PetNet and understanding that this could be um, a bit more fun. Not to say that sparkling and champagne isn't fun because I totally enjoy them, but um, mm-hmm. I just seem to like the playfulness of a PetNet, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Just on that side note, we make uh, sparkling out of our Malvasia Bianca, and usually uh, it is. It is. I don't think I've ever. Uh, well, no, I, I can't say I've ever had a sparkling Malvasia Bianca. At least in North America, there might be some in uh, Italy, perhaps, but I have not had it in North America. And, and I got to tell you, it's it's my favorite. And I, I know how that sounds, but uh, it, it's really unusual, and I, it's very nice. Well, you're allowed to have favorites. And as a quick aside, <laughs> before I forget, I just had your Viognier just a couple of days ago, and it was absolutely excellent. Uh, really loved the crispness, the freshness of it. Uh, it was a very, very good wine, so thank you for that. Uh, oh, thank you. I, I was just going to say, um, that's one of those uh, tweaking things that we did. Uh, when we first did our Viognier, it was good. It was very good. But then we decided, to, well, how can we make this better? And now we're fermenting them in clay vessels. Oh, nice. So all of our Viognier is um, fermenting and stored, barrel or not barrel aged, uh, vessel aged in clay. And I think it just bring, makes it a little different than anything else that's out there right now. Just It gives a little bit more minerality, and you, I think you can taste a, a little bit of the clay in there. And uh, it just makes it a little different than anything else. I'll bet. How long are you aging that then? A uh, year and a half. Oh, okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, my compliments. Very good. And I'm assuming you do the artwork yourself. Is that fair to say or no? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice job. Yeah, I like the look of it. It's uh, very tasteful, subtle, and uh, certainly eye-catching. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, uh I want to go back to a couple of uh, things we've talked about with Lisa, and one of them, uh, which I talk with many owners and winemakers, and of course you get different opinions because this is different end of the stick, and that is labor. You know, many parts of the country are having labor issues in general. Mm-hmm. How is that faring mm-hmm. for you in Arizona? Wow, that was this this past harvest was I think the most difficult ones. Um, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe they're working somewhere else, but it was very hard to get um, uh, seasonal labor this year. Uh, we were scrambling around, but we did find uh, two consulting companies uh, that are in Wilcox. And again, Wilcox is an agricultural town, so we have a lot more than just vineyards. We've got tomatoes. We've got cash, no cashews, up. Pecans, um, you name it, they can cotton, they, they grow it. It's a very agricultural town, so there's a lot of um, harvest workers there. Um, so there's, we were lucky enough to find these two contractors that can hire people for us just uh, temporarily just for picking. But it was, it was, uh, it was close. It was, it was hard to find people this year. Yeah, and again, this is something many companies are dealing with, uh, the weird post-COVID world, whatever that might be. Yes. Yeah, exactly. A lot of winemakers have gone to alternative types of packaging, cans, boxes, bags. Have you considered that or are Mm -hmm. you doing anything like that? During the pandemic, we did the little sample bottles, you know, and tried to bring the wine tasting experience to um, the home. 
It wasn't that successful, you know. I think people enjoyed it, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't explosive sales or anything like that. And then so we decided to discontinue the small bottles because they weren't selling. And then we also did, and just before the pandemic hit, we did uh, some canned wines, wines in a can. And that was the first time we did that. And I think it was just our timing. You know, everything was shut down, so you're not going to go party, and you're not going to go uh, to pool parties, and you're not going to go uh, tailgating. And so all the stuff was just shut down, and that's just before, before – I mean, we released it just before that. So I think it was just bad timing, but that that didn't take off either. So we decided not to do that <laughs> anymore. We might might reconsider it later on, but um, it, that was a bust. And um, as you know, uh, wine doesn't really do well in a can for very long. So its shelf life uh, is not very long. So we can't keep it like as you can in a bottle. So that was – that was not a very good decision at the time. Well, and, and you know, the thing is, too, exploring other areas, you do learn from these experiences. But also, there is something about the vessel. There is something. <laughs> I totally agree. I do, yes. And and you know what? I, I was amazed. We did a, a wine tasting thing in different wine glasses. You know, and it makes a huge difference. I mean, I, I was I was skeptical, I admit it, but it really tastes different in different types of glass. And so you can imagine if you're drinking out of a can, it's not going to be it's not the wine's not going to be at its best, uh, showcasing at its best. I want to go back to Carrie Gott for a moment because uh, again, Carrie has worked with so many different wineries in so many different places. When you started working with him, he has so much experience and so much knowledge. That has to be a little bit overwhelming, I would think, to start off in this whole experience. Um, I, yes, I agree. Um, but at the same time, I think we were relying on him. Like, a, it's a total trust factor because, you know, we believe in him and he's been in the industry. So uh, we would, whatever he would say, was just, we wouldn't be. Yeah, we would just say, okay, done. You know, if that's the way it has to be, that's the way it has to be. So, um, yeah, I think we just, uh, there's a lot of trust, and we did trust him a lot. Yeah, well, and that's what you have to do. It's it's all about the, the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, as a custom crush facility, roughly about how many cases are you doing out of that facility a year? Um, yes, but it, it varies because, as you know, the custom crush kind of scenario um, varies. It's people that, you know, maybe planted and they have some grapes and they want to start off um, making wine so they can use our services. But eventually, you know, they, they build their own winery, they build their own brand, and so it, it's just, you know, uh, a stepping uh, process, stepping stone process, and we knew that. So every year it changes. Sometimes we get more, sometimes we get less. Um, but I think of, over the last two years, we've been fairly consistent with um, uh, one or two large uh, clients that we have, and um, we're just happy with that so far. You know, it, it's just enough that we don't have to hire more staff to accommodate the the extra work. Uh, Lisa's comfortable with it. Um, um, she has a good relationship with the, the custom crush clients. So um, I think we're just happy doing this now. And uh, so I would say, as far as numbers go, we, we're doing about 50 tons, maybe 60 tons of custom crush. Nice. Very good. That's a good business. Mm-hmm. Of your own vineyards, are you selling any of your grapes or are you strictly keeping them for your own wines? Yes, we 
we are selling uh, our grapes. Um, they basically came online uh, last year. So we were, we were we have 40 acres and we were planting so much per year, and we finally finished planting about three years ago. So um, all of it was coming online uh, last year and this year for the first year. So we're kind of overwhelmed with a, a little bit of fruit. So we decided to put it out there, and luckily we have some buyers. <laughs> oh yeah, I imagine there's always buyers for it out there. Yes. This is a crazy industry in so many ways, crazy fun and can be crazy nuts. What's the one thing that maybe turned you off about wine? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I I love being in the vineyard. I, uh, it's just something very calming. I mean, there's nothing except, except it is a lot of work. <laughs> People forget that it's a lot of work. But um, I wouldn't say that I, I'm put off of that. And the winemaking, uh, just because we have a, this excellent staff, they make it so much fun. We have a lot of fun, and uh, they're very easygoing, and I love working with them all. Um, I think the most, I think most challenging thing I've, I've, I guess I would, I would say for what I've experienced is actually trying to sell it on your own. You know, uh, here in Arizona, we have distributors, and we are allowed to uh, self distribute, but it, the restaurants and, and grocery stores and wine bars, they usually go through a distributor. So it's very difficult to have that one-on-one relationship and get get to know each other. You know, I understand it's a, you know, it's a relationship. So um, I found that a little frustrating because it's like, hey, we're, we're, we're local and you should be supporting local. And it's just a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I think uh, the selling part. Sure. And there's a lot of competition, let's face it. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I, I thought, you know, make an excellent product and they'll just come and <laughs> buy it. They're like, that, no, no, no. It's a lot more work than that. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I think they call that the Boulevard of Broken Dreams or something like that. Yeah, for sure. That's a terrible way to put it. Well, we've come to the point, my favorite question that I ask everybody in the industry, I'm going to pose to you, and you can think about it for a minute, but uh, I'm sure you've done more than your share of uh, media and interviews, that sort of thing. What is the one question that you've never been asked that you would like to be asked? Wow. Um, I guess I, <laughs> um, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind, um, which is kind of funny, um, it, when my mom and dad came to visit the winery and was just about finished, and she's looking at all of these tanks and all these barrels and this huge space, and she says, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's mean in a bad way. I mean, she, sure. don't get me wrong. She totally supports me at 100%, but I get it. It's like, you're looking at this, it's like, what are you doing? This isn't... <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure about this? And uh, I think um, that's one of the just the raw questions that I think only my mom <laughs> could sure. ask. <laughs> well, I hope your response was yes, I do. Yes, of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also a big learning curve, you know, I think for everybody. Sure. Well, you're dealing with so many different aspects. I've say this all the time as a winemaker, you're dealing with retail, you're dealing with wholesale, uh, you're dealing with Mother Nature, you're dealing with government. I mean, that's all enough to make your head spin. Yep. Yep. That's so true. So most importantly for our listeners, I believe you do have a tasting room and are you by appointment or can people just belly on up or how does that work? 
Well, we had appointments during the pandemic, but that, uh, that's all uh, gone now, so you don't need a, uh, an appointment. And um, we do suggest have it, like calling ahead if you have, say, eight or more people so that we can, you know, um, make sure there's enough room to accommodate you. But, you know, generally it's, it's, it's open. So we're open from noon till 8 in Scottsdale. And then in our Wilcox tasting room, if you're ever doing the trip uh, southeast, it's, uh, they're open from about 11 till 5. And for us non-Arizonans, how far is that between the two? It is about three, three-and-a-half-hour drive. So we're past Tucson, past uh, Benson, and you finally start to get close to uh, Douglas. So it's closer to Douglas. It's very close to the bottom of the state. Cool. Okay. Just wanted to get an idea. Most importantly for our listeners who'd like to learn about uh, both you and Joan and Lisa and Artist Wine Company uh, online, what is your website? If Artist Wine Co., Com. Yes, everything you want to know, it's in there, and uh, you can find out if you want to dive deep into the background of each wine. We have uh, our wine fact sheets on every wine that we sell, and it has our story on there, and uh, pictures of our winery and, and tasting rooms and our staff. If you start exploring website, you'll, you'll get a sense of who we are and where we are. Scott, thank you very much for uh, taking the time today. I appreciate it. And it was really great talking to Lisa as well. So uh, I hope sometime to get out there to actually see you folks face to face. Absolutely. That'd be fun. And thank you for having me. Learn more by visiting eridiswinecompany.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Paskoff. Our web geek is Dan Gisha. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2023.